What great convenience of modern life was only adopted because AT&T was involved in a labor dispute? What's an enophile? And is there a medication for it? I hope so, because I'm itching all over. <laughs> <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and have some fun with trivia. Marcia, this is our 45th consecutive trivia show since we went into COVID in 2020. You've weathered it very well, I must say. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you. Please start. What the heck is that thing you asked me about? No, no, I want you to start. Okay, I'm starting with this question then. What great convenience of modern life did AT&T only adopt because it was involved in a labor dispute? Oh, Lord. I would... The year was 1919. A hundred well, and some odd years ago. Was it the telephone? It involved the telephone, <laughs> Yes. Well, was it a transcription machine, a telephone, a answering machine? Something you use every day when you want to call someone. My phone. Yeah, yeah I know that. <laughs> How do you use your phone? You pick it up and you... Hit buttons. You dial someone, right? Yeah. We call it well, dial still. Yeah, but it's dial. You you actually hit your buttons and call someone. Yeah. Well, direct dialing or direct communication was not a part of AT&T in 1919. The American Telephone and Telegraph Company earlier rejected dial telephones, but they finally came around in 1919 when they introduced them in Norfolk, Virginia, because telephone operators were threatening to go on strike. So, wow. <laughs> so the company wanted a way to cut its losses if that happened and to prevent service disruptions, so they adopted direct dial. I'll be darned. Well, that... Wow. So they only used it for key purposes and probably kept using it as a hammer against the unions or oh, the workers at the time. Yeah, if you don't, uh, we can do this. We if... can always go to direct dial. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually they did. Hey, they did. And I don't know, if you dial O today, is there anybody there? Probably not. Yeah. Hello? <laughs> All right, Bob. What's an enophile? Enophile. That's somebody, file, P-H-I-L-E, is somebody who is... Uh, Usually it means you have a fear of something, right? An enophile is somebody has a fear of something, correct? No. Or they're or they are a audiophiles are people who like audio. Right, so it can be So enophiles or. are people who like enos. There's yes. the answer. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> what what does that mean? Well, I can give you a hint, Bob. Okay. Uh, and also, I don't know if spelling it for you would help. Okay. Enophile is spelled O E N O P H I L E. Oh, that makes all the difference. <laughs> Well, if it helps, I'm an enophile, and the vaccine is on the kitchen counter. Okay, you better explain that. It's a lover or connoisseur of wine. Oh, enophile. Spell that again. O-E-N-O-file. O-E-N-O-file. Yeah. I got it from one of our listeners, Robert Dittmer. Oh, no kidding. From, Hi, Bob. From the enchanted village of Steensville, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> he also wants to know if you know the number one wine-producing nation in the world as of 2020. Want to take a guess? Well, let's see. It could be, well, it could be the United States just from the size of things. Then, of course, you'd normally go to France. But I'll say it's, I'll bet it's like a South American country like 
Argentina or something like that. Well, yeah, you got a couple there, but not in order. The number one, 20% of the world's total is Italy. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, followed by France, Spain, and the USA. So those are the top four. Do you know what the most popular worldwide wine is? The most popular worldwide Uh wine. Are you talking about a brand name or are you talking about a A, type? A type. A type. I'd say uh, what you like. Yeah. Cabernet, right? Cabernet Cabernet Sauvignon. (laughs) That's right. Always on the cutting edge, your wife. Thanks again from Robert, my fellow wino, uh, or enophile. (laughs) And he submitted that through our website, didn't he? Yes. Okay. So, and if you have a question you'd like to give to me so I can stump (laughs) Marsha. Go to our website at the offramp.show and go all the way down to contact contact us. Give me the question and the answer, please. Speaking (laughs) of answers, Marsha, I have a question here for you which requires an answer. Okay, which of the sexes speak more words per day, women or men? How how many what speak? Which of the sexes speak more words per day, women or men? A woman, definitely. Okay, any idea how many? Uh, I'll bet twice as much, three times as much. Try almost four. Okay, I believe it. (laughs) On average, men utter just over 2,000 words a day, and that includes grunts and all kinds of... Well, that's because they ask for things, and the woman has to respond all the time, so she has to use more words. Of course, that's the reason. Okay, so anyway, men utter just over 2,000 words per day. Women, more than make up for that, women utter on average... 7,000 words per Really? 7,000 words. Jeez. Of course, you and I are opposite that way. You're more chatty than me. Yeah, I am more but, chatty. Uh, and it's nice. So now we're talking about male and female differences. Oh, Here's another question on differences. No, not not, 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 not <laughs> oh, that kind. Okay. Which sex, which gender among Americans say they would marry the same person if they had to do it again? More of them say, yes, uh, I'd marry the same person again. Uh, men do. You're right. Uh Yeah, this comes under the maybe she's just not that into you category. (laughs) A full 80% of American men say they'd marry the same person if they had to do it all over again. Women, Mm, 50%. 50. Yeah, I believe it. So many women think they have to get married and then they don't always choose wisely. Mm. So, oh my God, I'm 21. <laughs> I'm so that's, old, I better get married. <laughs> Not that old. Well, that's when we were younger. That's, yeah. you know, that was the way it was. You, people, 22 women got married then. Not me and my friends. That a explains long time. a lot of that. Okay. <laughs> well, that's why we're so happy. As, <laughs> took care of ourselves. So don't ask me to iron your shirts and make your meals. Right? That was what Marcia said. <laughs> When we were dating, of course, why would I ask that? Then it was, damn. Okay. My favorite was, don't ask me to send your relatives' birthday cards, because I wasn't going to be that person. You never sent your own relatives' birthday cards. That's right. All of our bad habits coming out in this show. (laughs) Bob, why do exterior doors in your house tend to open inwards? Why do exterior doors open inwards as opposed to opening outwards? That's exactly right. (laughs) I guess it makes it easier to shut from the inside. Like if you open and you see it's somebody you don't want to have come in your house, you could shut the door. But if you're opening it out, then they've got the upper hand. You're getting to it. It's security. Mm. It's uh, security. And uh, you want those door hinges and pins on the inside, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. the burglars on the outside, they can just pop, pop the those, pins, uh, pop the true, pins and yeah. come on in. But now in public buildings, it's just the opposite. When you go into public buildings, they always open. Going in. That's right. 
They tend to open out because if a lot of people rush to the exit in a panic, they will push, not pull. So it's safety in a public building and and security in a private building. Well put, Bob. That's one of my key attributes that I... (laughs) The ability you to synthesize. Synthesize, sync, uh, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> Even the force of a mob rushing out of a fire will propel the door forward. So you want to go with the, if there's a crush or a fire, somebody to go with what's happening. Yeah, you don't want to be crushed uh-huh. there because you can't open the door and people behind That's you right. try and get That's out. That's right. A lot of emergency exits have those panic bars and then instead of doorknobs, and that makes it even faster to escape in case of a problem. Now it makes sense. Thank yeah. you for clearing that well, up. Well, that's why I'm here, Bob, that to is, enlighten you, for God's you sake. You enlighten <laughs> me so much. You know, any any man out there that claims a woman has too many clothes, she's not like this woman, okay? <laughs> Amelda Marcos? This was Elizabeth I of Russia. She died in 1762. She was well known for her love of clothing. It was confirmed when her aides went to her closets, they found 15,000 dresses there. 15,000! She used to change what she was wearing two, even three times every evening. Oh, God, did they all bring her joy? I mean, (laughs) did she have the two-year rule? She didn't have that tidy-up rule about, (laughs) if if you haven't worn this, get rid of it. Holy cow. Okay, February is uh, Black History Month, and I've got a question Mm -hmm. about black inventions. They've contributed more than is widely known to our modern life. What three great inventions did... African-Americans give to country living and city living. Say again. What do do people in the country traditionally do, Marsh? Uh, Farm. Yes, okay. And so so it's the thrasher or something, or the... uh, The thrasher. (laughs) It's thresher, Marsh. Oh, yeah. Thrasher. (laughs) Thrasher is what you do when you've got a little, a smart aleck little kid. Hey, a farm girl like me should know better. You got thrashed. Uh, yeah, so it's like... Uh, it's like that. It's like that. It's uh, It wasn't the uh, cotton mill. No, it's... it's a corn harvester, actually. Oh, okay. Very so, good. Yeah. yeah, the corn harvester, Henry Blaine, patented the corn harvester. He became the first black American to receive a U.S. patent. That was all the way back in 1834. So that was one of the inventions that started revolutionizing farming, was Uh the corn harvester. In 1923, Garrett Morgan, who was the first black man in Cleveland, Ohio, to own a car, came up with the idea (laughs) for a traffic light. So anyway, Garrett Morgan came up with the idea for the three lights, you know, the green, red, and yellow. And uh, Morgan also invented other things, a belt fastener on a sewing machine and a hair straightening process. The hair straightener process was what enabled him to buy his car. So he, <laughs> Really? Yeah. Well, good for him. Good and old entrepreneurship. The third invention, Granville T. Woods, he was the black American who invented the third rail. That was the electrified rail for trains, and that freed city streetcars from those overhead cables. Okay. Very interesting. So those are three uh, great inventions that really did help uh, American life. They did. And do, still. Okay, Bob, you know uh, what a backlog is. We get it uh, when we're working, don't we? Yes, we do. (laughs) But uh, you ever wonder what's the origin of that word? Backlog? Uh Uh-huh. That must have something to do with the logging industry, I'll bet. And maybe it was a log that... uh, Gummed up the works and kept things from rolling or something. It was oh, a backlog back deduction. There. Yeah, it's wrong, but it's a good deduction. Oh, okay. This is 1860. It uh, and it's oddly enough, it, it makes perfect sense. It was originally was a large log kept at the back of a fire, so it was ready to go later on when you needed it. 
you know, you burn your logs in the front, okay. but in the back of the grate, you There's have a backlog. A backlog. Ah. And you just roll that forward when you're ready. And eventually, it became a synonym for a supply of things that need to be processed or attended to. Uh, you know, oh yeah, there's a backlog on there. Let's let's get it out here. Okay, work that, it. That Doesn't makes it? sense. It does. I, I was reading because you could think of it in a negative sense too. There's yeah. a backlog. We got a backlog of that. We haven't yeah, sold. Yeah, but all it's these also things. can be a, positive. A, yeah, supplies that need to be used. That's right. And it came up in a, a novel I was reading, and I thought, well. Bob loves word origins, <laughs> by golly. Well, speaking of word <laughs> origins, Marsh, you know, you and I on a recent show were joking. We both have German backgrounds, but we talk about the Germans kind of having a harsh reputation, right? And many people consider German a very harsh, guttural-sounding language, but there's one statistic that shows it has a softer side. Any idea what that is? has to do with words. A statistic about the German language. About the German language. It, it has more ways to say love than any other language? It has almost more ways to say kissing than any other oh, language. Yeah? Okay. yeah. German language has words that describe 30 different kinds of kisses, as a matter of fact. Now, that's romantic. They even have a word called Nachtkussen. <laughs> that describes kisses that, that make up for those that were previously omitted. Re oh, really? I need to give you some Nachtkussen. <laughs> Need to kiss you some more. Oh, I oh wow! I I prefer to embrace the French side of my family, and uh, so do I. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Although not kissing is good for <laughs> for just about everything. And spe and we don't we have some Irish in us too, Bob. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so why why Bob mm -hmm. is St. Patrick's Day on March seventeenth every year? Well, that had to do with St. Patrick. Mm -hmm. Obviously, because they call it St. Patrick's Day. They do. Isn't that supposedly the day he drove the snakes out of Ireland or something? Tamed the snakes? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Well. Then you need to tell me that. I, I know. If I'm wrong, you need to correct I, it. I like the answer. According to the Big Book of Answers, when the time came to honor the patron saint of Ireland, to honor his birthday, church officials got together and they had to figure out his birthday. Mm-hmm. But they were a committee, and they couldn't agree on what day it was. Was it March 8th or March 9th? So how do you think they got to March 17th? They added them up. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. No. None of us are right. If we add them up, That's we'll right. both be right. <laughs> I love that That's idea. decision by committee. Now, there's an example of what's wrong with that. Or what's right with that. They came up with something they both agreed on. I guess so. But to add up to And then they could argue about whose idea was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, he was born on the 8th. No, it was the 9th. Well. That's pretty good. Let's take a break here, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. Okay. We're back. This is The Off-Ramp with Bob and. Marsha. Smith. And I have a question for you about what revolution in agriculture is COVID-19 currently spurring on? Something that's taking place as a result of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Well, people are doing a lot more home gardening and growing things. It has to do with growing uh, things, things. Yes, and in they're growing. cities. Yeah, in their own gardens. It's not vegetables. people, though. It's not regular people. It's Animals are growing. Agricultural <laughs> revolution that's going on in cities. 
I don't know, Bob. They call it vertical farms. Oh, yeah, going up. Farms inside tall buildings within cities. A lot of buildings, there are people saying, some of these buildings will never be used anymore the way they used to, these office buildings. Oh, they're using them? This has been a thing for a decade, but now COVID-19, the pandemic has spurred an interest in them as an answer to what they call food security for cities. So it may be solution for the commercial real estate dilemma. Like if people don't come back to cities right away, what are we going to do with these buildings? So hundreds of multi-story buildings are empty as workers do their jobs from home. And hundreds of indoor farms are sprouting in some of those buildings as the landlords are looking for new tenants. Where is that? In multiple cities. It's happening. And the idea is they can grow crops in water or misted air instead of soil. Uh And they use LED lights. That provides 24 hours of sunlight. And since you don't need soil, there's no need to dig till or plow, and since it's a controlled environment, storms and pests don't wreak havoc. Gene Giacomelli, who's a professor of biosystems engineering at the University of Arizona, he says in a vertical farm, 95% of outdoor seedlings can grow to maturity and harvest, while the survival rate for outdoor crops can be as low oh. as 70%. Yeah. And then you've got drought years and yeah. floods. You're not going to yeah. have that in a in And a the city. difference, of course, would be in the taste. And that I'd If like there to is have, a difference in yeah, the Yeah, that's what, if it, there's no difference, yeah. uh, I'm not that discriminating, but I can't tell that much difference sometimes between an ocean shrimp and a, and a raised shrimp. So this is happening in paintball arenas, warehouses, and empty office buildings. Really? And here's what they're growing, okay? Uh Vertical farmers are starting to add uh, crops other than just lettuce. Uh, Root vegetables like potatoes, radishes, carrots, and celery seem to work well in this environment. Plus green beans, peppers, and tomatoes, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. So that's that's what's happening. Ah. It could be a significant shift of agriculture to the cities, but then that's where 60% of the people live. So the market for locally produced food is there. Just an interesting idea, I thought. Well, that came from a Wall Street Journal article. Let's keep an eye on that, shall okay, we? Okay, let's do. <laughs> Vertical farms. Okay, yeah. let's, let's get to prostitutes. What? Wait a minute. <laughs> Ever wonder why we call prostitutes hookers? You want to guess? Oh, that is a good question. Hookers, because they hook their bait. It's like fishing for something that, and you hook somebody. That would have been my guess. Yeah. Also, there was a myth then that... Then you it, reel them in. Yeah. Reel those Johns in. Yeah. What do they call them? A lot of people think it's uh, General Joseph Hooker from the Civil War. That's because, a story I always heard. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, the ladies... He had an entourage was, of people, including ladies. Who, that would follow him. Correct. But him. no. Nay, nay. It wasn't him. It wasn't. Okay. The word Hooker first appeared in 1845 as a reference to an area in New York City. Really? Yeah an area known as the Hook. And it just happened to be where uh, a lot of entrepreneurial women could be found in abundance. <laughs> uh, they're there around the Hook. Yeah, that's right. So uh, they That be- sounds like a uh, like yeah. a part of land, a peninsula yeah. that could yeah. have hooked around something. a harbor I, I, I or something. I don't know what area, but uh, there were tons of uh, ladies there. Entrepreneurial ladies. Yeah. All right. I, I like entrepreneurial ladies. But a lot of men do, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else to that story? Because that uh, sounds interesting. It does. No, that's all. All right. I can give you a factoid, though. Sure. The silkworm silk comes out of its mouth as a thread of gooey liquid, which means that that nice silk blouse that I have is just really worm spit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it's better than coming out of the other end of the that's animal. That's right, right. I try that's to look where at some the positive things come out. All right. <laughs> all right. Speaking of creatures, what living creatures did British scientists just discover 
in Antarctica. Under the ice. <laughs> that was a good pause. Yeah. Creatures they had never known were up no, there or no, existed? They, they never saw these things before, apparently. I mean, this is a new life form that we had never... Well, how can I guess that if I never heard of it? This is just coming out, and they have don't have a lot of information on it yet, but okay. just happened in the past, uh, I don't know, 60, 90 days. But researchers from the British Antarctic Society drill boreholes through a half-mile thick ice shelf, and then they bring these samples up, and they see, well, how old is this? Yeah. Well, they were recently doing that, and they hit a boulder. Yeah. And when they dropped a camera down the hole, they found something far more exciting. Beneath the ice in total darkness and in near-freezing water, they saw a variety of sea animals clinging to the rock. That included 16 sponges, which are animals, and 20 other unidentified creatures. It's the first time this kind of marine community has been found beneath an ice sheet. And it's a reminder of how little we really oh, know. Oh, yeah. I'll bet you there's stuff down there that be amaze you. They said that Antarctica is surprisingly full of life. They it was a, had a five-week mission under the Antarctic ice. And how do the animals get there? How do they get their food? Are there more of them? They don't know. The Antarctica. floating ice shelves in Antarctica. Although they cover the area the size of Mongolia, scientists have only explored about a tennis court's worth of space. Really? Isn't that in amazing? Comparison. In the whole history of man, that's well, all that's the more crazy. it's been explored underneath yeah, there. No, yeah, I, geez, no, I didn't get the memo on that. Fine. Yeah, interesting, no. huh? Yeah. Okay. Can coffee kill you, Bob? Yes, it can. How? If you drink too much of it, uh, I think it's like 50 cups in a row or something like that. Well, you're up on this. It, it hurts your heart. Well, yeah. There's a reason we always say uh, moderation in all things, because pretty much anything can kill you if you overdo it. Even love. So <laughs> no fear of dying for a while. Oh. oh. What will kill you is lots of coffee in a short amount of time. Hmm. That is, 100 cups over four hours Jeez. will kill the average human being. A hundred cups over a four-hour period. Will kill the average human You've got to be really tired to want that much coffee. <laughs> That's it. Wow. Yeah. This is a colorful fact. You did something the other day on Shakespeare, an expression of uh -huh. Shakespeare. And I have a really funny Saladate. expression on Shakespeare. It's a descriptive insult. You've probably never heard of this. This comes from a Much Ado About Nothing. Listen to this. You have such a February face, <laughs> so full of frost and storm and cloudiness. Wow. That's a descriptive insult. A February insult. face. Yeah. Isn't well, that funny? We have February faces right now. Wow. Okay. That's funny. Isn't it? There's a toilet seat in Hong Kong, Bob. That sounds like the beginning of a song or a limerick. It's a, it's a romantic tune. <laughs> Bing Crosby sang it. A toilet seat in old Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> that is valued at $1.3 million in 2019. Wow. What? Makes that toilet seat so special. Solid Bob. gold, probably. <laughs> well, that and something else. Well, it's made out of a precious metal. Yeah. A Hong Kong jeweler uh, named Aaron Shum or Shum embedded his gold plated toilet seat with 40,815 diamonds. Oh, my goodness. It's uh, 334.68 carats worth of diamonds. And just to be safe, the diamonds were embedded with bulletproof glass. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the creator's goal was to make the Guinness Book of World Records, which you have to assume uh, couldn't have been a hard category to get into. No. You know, okay, who has the 
both diamonds in their toilet seats. No in this kidding. Yeah. And what does he plan to do with this fabulous artifact here? He doesn't plan to keep it or to sell it. Apparently, he doesn't need the money. He's going to put it in the Diamond Art Museum. There's a Diamond Art Museum? And guess where it is? In his, I don't know, living room. <laughs> no, it's in Wuhan, China. Really? And what else is in Wuhan, Bob? COVID. <laughs> That's right. That's the ground so you, zero. You really got to want to see this thing. You got to go there for diamonds and ground zero for COVID. Oh, that's so funny. It is. I just found that uh, particularly fascinating. A, a diamond museum, I mean, you know. And diamonds aren't that scarce. I mean, they, no, you know, no. they're just made to be expensive because they... They only let out of you know so much a year. Well, there's a control over it. Yeah, yeah. there's a control, but there are tons of diamonds. Marcia and I got a great gift from our children this year. Oh, we did for Christmas called Story Worth. I'd highly recommend it. It's a great way to get your parents to start writing down their history of their lives by sending them a question every week, and then all they have to do is email it back. And if they want to hang pictures on it, they can uh, you know post pictures too. Uh, and what that brought to mind in our discussions recently, Marsh, was the influence our parents had on certain things we did. So here's a question along those lines, okay? Okay. Now, today we associate the name Henry Ford with... Uh... Cars, Bob. Thank Cars. you, Marsh. I was <laughs> hoping you'd come up with something. But why, why don't we associate Henry Ford with wristwatches? Well, I don't think he made wristwatches. <laughs> but he wanted to make wristwatches, Marsh. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Did he try and fail? Well, Henry Ford's family forced him into something he didn't want to do because his original ambition was to find a way to produce watches so they could be sold inexpensively for a dollar apiece. Well, see, he had that good thinking about yeah. a, a mass production. And that you could wear them, you yeah. know? Well, his father convinced young Henry, no, work on the family farm instead. And that's where he became convinced about the importance of machinery. Uh-huh. And he, you know, some of his yeah. first tinkering with machines was on the family farm. So Yeah. And that uh, mass production line that he came up with, was the, that was the game changer. And it was actually an idea some other people came up with. And he kind of, he and his own team it. kind of fine-tuned it. So well, there, there are various fathers or mothers of the assembly line. But yeah. obviously, he and his team, they are the people who... Perfected they, it, yes. yeah, the assembly line. This is another insult from Shakespeare. Okay. This is an insult. Villain, I have done thy mother. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so is your mama. Oh, Isn't that's that awful? Funny. So that kind of uh, in-your-face crack goes back, way back that's to right. Shakespeare's But when day. you say it that way, it sounds... More insulting and more cultured at the same time. That's Villain, funny. I have done my mother. <laughs> All right, I'm going to finish and follow through with the, the Chinese proverb that I like. Okay. One moment of patience may ward off great disaster. One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. Well, that's true. Yeah. I was thinking about patience because uh, we're waiting to get on some list, any list, anywhere for our vaccine, vaccine. Yeah. so i'm thinking about patience and well that's great okay uh, one more shakespeare insult imagine saying this to somebody would thou wert clean enough to spit upon 
I if, like that. If only you were clean enough to spit upon, oh, but you're too dirty. Oh, I got to write that down. I got to write that down. That's, that's a, a cutting insult and not a single swear word. Oh, yeah. And that's a good, I'd like to text that to somebody. Would thou wert clean enough to spit upon, <laughs> if only you were not so dirty. <laughs> All right. All right. That's it for the day. We hope you've enjoyed our show, and we hope you join us again next time. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. And you've been listening to The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.